Hello future people, welcome to Getting Tabled. I'm Jason the Bruce, and welcome to, no, you're not mistaken, this is a special bonus episode. Our last episode last weekend was the last episode of 2022. This is a bonus. If you follow our YouTube channel, and you saw my PAX Australia highlights from October, you may remember a board game called Nataterra. That's a game that's being developed by Amir, which is a game developer here in Melbourne. Uh, I had promised to do a follow-up interview. That's what this episode is. So I will leave you with past Bruce and Amir. Thank you very much. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. Getting tabled. With the Bruce, the Yang, and Captain Socks. Future people, welcome to Getting Tabled. I'm Jason the Bruce, and I am here with Amir, Hello. Uh, which is one of the guys that we briefly had a look at at PAX. I promise you guys a follow-up to that board game, and we are finally here doing it. <laughs> uh, this game actually, this is really, really exciting. So it's kind of board game meets war game. It is very much all tiles and stuff, though. There's no miniatures involved in this. Apparently he was asked that quite a few times over the weekend. Uh, but it has very much an Age of Empires or Starcraft or Warcraft type feel. Uh, it's very, very real-time strategy, and it works really, really nicely. Uh, Amir, you want to like introduce yourself, kind of speak a little bit about what it is you're actually... Um, the, the board game you're actually making? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm creating this board game. I started to I started like two years and a half ago. Um, is a really good combination between a war game and a board game. Mm. Um, since it's actually a board game, you sit down on the yeah. table and you uh, open the box, set up, and start to play uh, like every normal board game. But the concept is a war game from a management perspective because you have a lot of uh, different units with different characteristics to take care of and take control. Um, yeah, this game, um, it takes pretty much one hour, two hours for a uh, uh, complete game. Yeah. Um, I hope it's going to be released next year. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, if if everything uh, is, you know, following the plan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it could slide in the start of the 2024. Let's see how it goes. Um, yeah. We have few components that needs to be finished. They're yep. not finished yet, but the gameplay is solid. Um, but yeah, after that, we, we have, we're there. It's nearly done. Um, yeah. I was coming around your table like quite frequently over, over those last few days, <laughs> yeah. just to kind of watch people's reactions and stuff. I think... The biggest thing most people was taking away from it, at least initially, was obviously the artwork. Because yeah. it was very, very pretty. Yeah. Um, now, when you say war game, like the inspiration... Well, not inspiration. The the way it felt to me was very much Age of Empires, your original Warcraft, Starcraft. It is in a fantasy world, but those sort of RTS type Oh, games. 100%. Yes, my, my knowledge pretty much is coming from RTS. So yep. we're talking about StarCraft, Age of Empires. Uh, one of my most favorite uh, video games was uh, Heroes of Night and Magic. Yeah. Another big title. Uh, yeah, I started to play video games when I was like 9, 
uh, eight probably um, with my brother's dad. Now he's a, a really good uh, informatic engineer and he actually brought me really, really young in the video games world. And I remember we used to play StarCraft 1 in the 99-2000 uh, with really two uh, not really efficient computers connected yeah. by one single LAN cable. And yeah, that's that was my experience. This is where my experience started. Um, my board game uh, is actually a reflection of these games. It's a RTS, but not turn-based. So it's a board game. Yeah. Um, this is what I've been trying to do. Uh, there is a lot of uh, StarCraft. There is a lot of Heroes of Night and Magic. Uh, there is, yeah, there is a lot of these kind of games, Civilization, Alpha Centauri, um, these video games. And um, obviously there is also components from other board games. I really appreciate... Everything's been done before, obviously. So, obviously. Yeah. yeah, what, what, when you, it's really difficult to create something really innovative and uh, unique, so... What you what you see now is on the market is always like something that you have seen before with just few tweaks for make it different, change a few names. That's this is my perspective. So create something unique now becomes really really com cool. All you got to do is like how many board games are out there that have essentially stripped Zombicide out oh, and then just put their own skin thousand, on. Thousand, obviously, thousand. Yeah. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. There, there is a little. You can make. I mean. They've done it themselves. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you can make a lot of money. Just risk. Monopoly has done it for years, and Monopoly is a terrible game. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree on that. Absolutely, I agree. It on does that. have fans. I, I don't quite get it why, but it I, does. It I does actually, have fans. I actually met a girl a few days ago. A friend of a friend of mine. She does tournament of Monopoly, and she that did the world championship of Monopoly. I didn't even know they had championships. I didn't know too, but <laughs> I, I'm surprised because it's uh, basically. The ninety percent of the game is based on luck, so I don't understand how these games work in a tournament, competitive tournament. I know that there are certain there are certain properties that you have a bigger chance of landing on. So if you manage to get those, oh, I wasn't aware of it because um, everybody always tries to get like Mayfair and stuff because they're worth the most. Yeah, but you're better off getting the ones where there's more things to land on yeah. and stuff. Th that's all I know. <laughs> that's it. My, my knowledge was... That actually... and apparently everybody plays it wrong. <laughs> cool. Cool. But yeah, yeah, this is interesting. What, what instead I've been trying to do in my game is try to reduce the randomness as much as I can because I can see players require these things. They, they start to hate randomness because they want to put in game their skills mm. and, you know, a better understanding of the game. So... I think yeah. the elements of randomness can be good, but I think the problem with randomness is it starts to feel like the game's playing you yeah. rather than you're playing the game. Agree. Uh, like you're just there, you're just there moving the pieces, and the game does everything. Else. Yeah, correct, correct. I, I'm I'm biased because dice hate me <laughs> with a saving just then the feeling. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, when, one... when you started making your game, obviously the world that you've based it on. Of, is of your own uh, it's inspired by things but it's of your own making so uh, I've been working on the game only for two years and a half but the story behind the world behind is actually a story that I've been writing for 11 years now did it start uh, as like D&D &D type stuff or just legit story 
Oh, just a legit story. I'm yep. actually write, trying to write a book, but my writing skills are terrible. So this is the reason why it's been there for 11 years. Uh, At uh, least you're doing something and not just talking about doing something. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, I actually have some things, uh, but I'm too scared to complete it. Uh, it's something that I'm working on. It. I have more to work on my feelings and my mindset instead of um, what I'm actually doing. But yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the word behind is really complex and there is a lot of stuff and I'm really proud of it. Uh, I, and I'm actually feeling lucky that I find a way to do something with it because I could see that my um, stories uh, writing skills were not actually taking place. So I actually created a board game with it. Um, and the story that's going to be in the game is something that happened 10, 12 years before the main story. Um, so it's gonna be still a part of my world and my story and my storyline. Um, but yeah, nice. Um, when you started putting the game together, was RTS always the direction that it was going to go, or did that kind of come later? No, it's actually it was more RTS before. Uh, it's always yep. been RTS, and before was really, um, really RTS style. There was no randomness before, and I saw that. I understood that actually in board game, as you said before, a bit of randomness is not also, it's not just good. From my perspective, it's also essential in board games because it breaks that perfect balance between function or players or you know everything. So I think the problem with a game that is purely based on skill, sometimes it gets to a point where you feel like you're just playing to lose, like you don't actually have a chance. Yeah. To um True. do anything about that. True. Sometimes yeah, if it's all based on purely on skill, like yeah. the person that's learning the game, or if you're playing against somebody that's better than you, you can start feeling like oh, oh, I have no chance in this 100%. why am I bothering? Yeah. Well, sometimes we think that way anyway. <laughs> True. <laughs> um So RTS wise, the the thing that stood out to me was the skill tree. Yeah. Which from a board game perspective, I haven't really seen anybody else do. I mean, there probably are some out there that have. Yeah. Um, was getting that together difficult? Because that's... I mean, dice and stuff is one thing. Board placement is... I mean, you're yeah. picking where you're going and stuff. Like, everybody's seen what a board game looks like. Mm -hmm. Getting the skill tree to work in a board game, was that difficult? or? Uh, it's been complicated, actually, uh, because... The first prototype had only pages. Every player has a book with all the tech tree yeah. that you can go through and see the price and just tick it. Uh, but obviously it was not working. Then uh, the idea of creating a deck resolved that issue and now we have a tech tree in a deck mm. and players just draw cards uh, that are numbered and the deck is never shuffled because you know exactly where you're going. You have a card that brings you to another card that brings you to another card. Yeah. Um, I always loved the concept of tech tree in video games. Uh, the idea of developing new technologies and you know expand uh, what you're doing. And um, what what I'm really proud of is that my tech tree doesn't is not always the same because you have multiple choice based on the game how it's going so yeah. you can actually uh, change the things that you're doing and upgrade your units in different ways so 
It's been complicated, but I think it's really elaborated, and I hope people's gonna enjoy it. Yeah. The I'm trying to remember. I believe it was dark elves and orcs that we were so, playing. So yeah, we were no? playing uh, the beast that actually a combination of yeah. orcs, goblins, centaur, harpy, cyclops. Yeah. Um, is more a huge community of different races. Um, and the other one was, yeah, kind of Dark Health is actually a specific... Because I kept on calling it um, the Undead. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they are, they're called Atari and uh, is a unique civilization of my, of my world. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy with the job that the illustrator is doing because he actually represents what... I've been imagining it for years yeah. in a really good way, so I'm actually really happy. How did you make that connection? Oh, by chance? Or? No, actually, um, it's, it's a contact from my graphic designer, that oh, is nice. Alex Winter, uh, from the TGDA. Yep. Um, he passed me this contact, they've been working together uh, before, and yeah, we had a little chat, I explained the project, he was really excited about it, so he sat through the way and he's doing a great job, yeah. So the board game itself, it's it's very much board game, and I suspect you know where I'm leading with this. But so it's very much board game. You've got tokens, you've got cards. The thing that you don't have, and the thing that I know that you constantly got asked about over packs is miniatures. Yeah, that's a deliberate choice. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, I know a lot of you guys are going to be thinking, what? <laughs> because miniatures is everything, right? Yeah. But it's not really. Um, now, you've deliberately chose not to go in that direction because you felt it didn't suit the game. No, it didn't. Um, for a very simple reason. Um, it's, about, it's about space on the table. So what a single player has to manage during the game is an amount of units that, and a diversification of units that usually you don't find in games. Yeah. So having miniature for every single of them is just overwhelming. Also, it wouldn't actually add anything to the game. Oh, no, absolutely. No, all it would... Well, apart from an expense. Yeah. And something you could make money from, maybe. Oh, 100%. But look... If it's just there to be expensive... Like, yeah. It's also... Like, for it to work on the table, they would have to be tiny. Mm-hmm. They would have to be maybe this big. We're, we're talking about really small sides. Yeah. Um, because the map is what it is, and the, manage, uh, the, the amount of token that you have to manage is absurd. So, mm. um, and you need also to identify them during the game. But that's, this is not just the point. I mean, um, every civilization, and there are four in the game, mm-hmm. uh, you have seen only two, unfortunately. There are four in the game, in the base game, because yeah. then there are three, four more coming up. Um, every civilization has a unique set of seven different units. That means seven different miniatures for, for civilization. We are talking about 28 minis, yeah. and every single minis needs like six, seven copies. So when, when we're talking about minis and we start to count this stuff, we, we see that a game that already costs $100, $120 is going to jump on $300 just Easily. because we're including... A set of minis that is ridiculous. And it's a set of minis that, again, isn't actually going to add anything to the game aesthetically. Absolutely not. Is I mean, it... it would be instead of the artwork. Yeah. So you would be losing, well, in my eyes at least, you'd be losing something. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love minis. Yeah, me too. But not everything needs to have them. 
Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I think to some extent Kickstarter has trained people to expect them now yeah, at this stage. Yeah, 100%. Obviously, I'm aware that there is a market mm. that uh, includes people um, that are buying games just because they have minis. Yeah. Because minis, you can reuse them in different games, especially when you're doing D&D campaign. Um, so they are a really useful tool. But I don't want to expect spend too many money because actually making mini it's really expensive very expensive only only to create the the sample of one single mini is cost like one thousand one thousand five hundred dollars easily and for 28 minis means i have to spend 40 40 40k <laughs> forty thousand dollars just for make these games that's yeah. obviously doesn't make sense for no me. Yeah. i mean Hypothetically, if this goes off and becomes very successful, I hope maybe so. you could do that. One hundred percent. If I but if I have to, you've do... already got other races that are being introduced later. Yeah. which At least some of those are obviously expansion material. Exactly. Um, in theory, new maps and so forth can 100%. come at some stage. Yeah. So and uh, there's also... life in this later that oh, you can yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. I've been also asking about um, a single player mode. Yeah. And obviously, it's going to be a work in progress soon. Yeah. Soon, I finish this campaign. Because that you, from memory, that's something you only started. The single player only started this year, right? Uh, I haven't started to work on it. Okay. Uh, I, I, mean, I remember you mentioned that at PAX. Yes, because people have been asking me at PAX. Yeah. What about if I want to play it by myself? Correct. This is mm. a fair question. So, and it's not complicated for me to do it. I've, I've been working with with balancing for the last two years and now find myself to balance another civilization just for a single player mod is not gonna i don't see it as a problem i can yeah. do that and i mean the other answer to that would be well you're playing against yourself but that's not fun yeah <laughs> yeah well people people find fun but yeah. you know so um yeah it's something that i've been asked and if people ask, I can make it. Mm. It's it's not it's not complicated things to do. And single player modes in board games is legitimately a, a selling point at this stage. It has been stage. since p- the pandemic. Absolutely. I mean that yeah. certainly brought it on. Yeah. It was kind of starting to show up before then, but I think the pandemic's what really brought that out. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And some people got very very lucky with that. Yeah, true. <laughs> they just happened to have been working on things with that in mind. Yeah. That hit the market at the right time. Yeah. True. So. True. Um, I obviously I've said this before. Like, I'm a very big fan of what you've been getting done with the artwork and the look of the game. <laughs> Thank you. Um, fingers crossed for next year. Obviously, we don't know when next year at this stage. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram as yep. another Terra game. Uh, they can find me on Facebook. They can find me on Bigger Kit on Kickstarter. I'm uh, pretty much everywhere on Twitter. So yeah. Yep. I'll put the links in the show notes and everything on screen. Uh, Otherwise, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For listening to Getting Table. Music used in this podcast was created by Eric Mataris at soundimage.org.